listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. Who's your one? I want to talk to you this morning about an initiative that we're doing in the life of our church entitled, Who's Your One? Book of Romans, Mr. Believer, Mrs. Believer. For the next few moments, I want to speak to you, and I want to ask and press this question in. Who is your one? God has called us as believers to communicate the good news of Jesus Christ. And so for the next moments, what I want to ask you to do is to prayerfully consider that one person in the weeks to come that God is putting on your heart who's yet to embrace Christ. It could be a friend, family member, person at your workplace. And what a joy it will be to be able to communicate the good news of Jesus. Now, as you came in today, you had to navigate around this huge box. Did you see that box? It's amazing what people don't see. I talked to neighbors within a few feet of our church, and they say, now what church again, and where are you located? And I point to that whole block over there that we own. That box is strategically placed to be in your way as you exit, so that you would, as you exit in the moments to come, what I want you to prayerfully consider is to put your first name and the first name of the person that God's calling you to share the gospel with. So. First names only. Would you say that? First name only. I am Scott and my one is Maggie. I may share more about Maggie in just a moment with you. But we as believers have this opportunity to see lives change, to be a life changer and a difference maker, and to speak a message of hope into our culture today. You know, we desperately need hope. Hope's more scarce than oil. Hope is more scarce than petroleum or diamonds or any other precious jewel. We desperately need hope. And we can introduce people to hope, and hope is spelled J-E-S-U-S. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and many people have yet to understand that, have someone explain that to them. And so again, as you enter today and as you exit, what I'm asking you to do with this message, you're about to give me about 30 minutes. What I'm asking you today is prayerfully consider who's that one person that God's laid on your heart. And you're going to continue to pray for them and communicate the gospel personally. Romans chapter 1, I want you to see three I am statements. The Bible says in verse 14, I am bound. Verse 15, the Bible says that I am eager. In verse 16, the Bible says, I am not ashamed. Those three I am statements. I want you to notice in Romans chapter 1, Paul is writing to a church he's never met. He's never met this church. Think of that for just a second. He had the confidence to write the complicated letter called Romans to believers he'd never met. That's shocking that he he was so confident that they could understand that. Their discipleship was at a level they could understand this letter. And when you notice in verse 8, he says this word, thankful. Anytime anyone has embraced the Lord Jesus Christ, we're to be thankful to God that they've embraced Christ. And in fact, believers he'd yet to know, believers he'd yet to meet, Paul says, I'm thankful. And other believers, we're to be thankful for them. 
We're to be thankful for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice secondly here, in front of us, he mentions Rome, verse 10. Rome was the capital of the world, so to speak. There was one superpower, and it went by the name of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire. And it was the Washington, D.C., if you will, of the world. And Paul is thankful that the gospel had moved into the world's capital. Like we would be thankful that the gospel is moving and taking shape in Washington, D.C. I believe they could use some more of that up there in D.C. and less of what they got going on. And so he's thankful. Again, he's yet to meet them. He wants to get to Rome one day. Rome would be the edge of where he would have traveled. Rome would have been the edge of the opportunities. And he's thankful these believers are gathered there. And so I want you to keep that in mind with those three I am statements. And I want to look at each of those in turn. And here's what I'm asking for. I'm asking that every one of us be just like the first century Christians. We are to be people who are bound, that I can say I am bound, that I am obligated. Secondly, that I can say that I'm eager, that I'm eager. And third, that I'm not ashamed. Look with me first in verse 14 where the Bible says, I am bound. That's my phrase of using it. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, all kinds of ethnicities of people. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. Now, no doubt you probably have not met a Greek or a barbarian recently. Maybe you're married to a barbarian. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe you've not met anybody wise. Maybe you work with a whole lot of foolish people. I don't know. But the first attitude, if we're going to be a real believer, a genuine believer, is we're to develop this obligation to others. When I think about owing, I always think about that Snow White. Wasn't it one of the dwarfs? I owe, I owe. Wasn't that what he said? I don't know. My Disney's not all that good. But the Bible says, I am bound. Now, what does it mean to be I am bound? Well, there's two ways I can think of I can be in debt. And as I shared this with you a year ago, we're just picking back up on our theme that was interrupted from COVID back in February of last year, right back there. The first way I can be in debt to you, let's say you, you lend me $10,000. You lend me $10,000, what, what should I do? I should pay the $10,000 back, right? I'm in debt to you because you have lent me $10,000. But there's a second way, and this second way is why it's working here. This is what the Bible means here. Let's say a buddy of yours gives me 10,000 to give to you. You didn't give me the 10,000, but a buddy of yours said, hey, would you give this 10,000 to Sammy? Would you give this 10,000 to Mario? And I would be obligated to give that money. I'm in debt to you even though I didn't get the money from you. And that's exactly how the gospel works. Someone shared the gospel with you, Jesus Christ was crucified for you. That's of substantial cost, by the way. Talk about sticker shock. That's more than a Cadillac or a Mercedes or whatever new car. Talk about your sticker shock. Jesus Christ was crucified for you. And our role today is to be under obligation. That is to say, you know, I'm so happy that Jesus Christ died for me. I'm just going to live here content until the day I die because it's sufficient. I'm sufficient for the Lord. No. The costliness of the cross of Jesus, his crucifixion, it should be shared with others. So Christ, the Spirit of God, the Father has given me a debt that I owed others, yet who've yet to embrace Jesus Christ. 
You see it? It's not the first kind of debt. The non-Christian has not lent me money. No, I've been given something precious from the Lord, and now I'm to pay that obligation. In fact, I like this sentence. I found this recently. Obligation to him who died produces an obligation to those for whom he died. There's an obligation I have. And the Bible here puts it in terms of verse 14, to Gentiles, barbarians, to those who are foolish, to those who are wise. A statement that I like to just repeat to myself often. It's a life motto. I don't know where I got it from. The gospel is far too valuable to keep to myself. The gospel is too valuable to keep to myself. Would you say that with me? The gospel is too valuable to keep to myself. And we get this in some sense. Imagine if I had the cure to some deadly disease and I kept that just for the maid's family and didn't share it with others. Perhaps, perhaps we'd find me on criminal charges for something like that. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is just that. It's a message of hope into this culture, a message of love. The verse that I was taught as a young man and still echoes in my mind today, for God so loved the world that he gave his one only son that whoever, what, believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And how I was taught as a young man that I could put my name in that verse. Instead of the word world, I could put, for God so loved Scott. But here's the thing. I can also put non-believers' names there. For God so loved Sammy or Mario or Sally. And that's the obligation here. And so back in our text, I love the way Paul does this, right at the very beginning of chapter 1, verse 1. Did you see how Paul introduced himself? He said, Paul, a servant, a servant, a servant. In fact, almost every time you see Paul's name next to the word servant, it's going to be the Greek word doulos, the Greek word doulos which more technically should be translated slave. Slave. Now, we don't do that because of the stuff that grew up around the 1800s and the 1700s. We, we back off that because of the American slavery. This is not a bad slavery. This is not an ethnicity or race-based slavery. Paul will say, I'm a slave to God. Now, think about that for just a second. Sometime this week, maybe a mom is connecting with other mothers you take kids to school. And I don't, I don't think you ladies shake hands as much as us men do, but let's just say you do that because that's my world. You stick your hand out and say, hi, I'm Kim. I'm the mother to these three brats or however, whatever that looks like for you, okay? All right. Now, if you meet Paul, if Paul were to take his kids first day of school, he would extend his hand and say, hi, I'm Paul, a slave of God. Now, if we did that today, we'd say, okay, all right, you're super spiritual, we know, okay. Just move right along the way. But think about that. Think about that for just a second. How much does God have to convince you? How much convincing does God have to do to get you to take his instructions seriously? How much convincing? Tracy tries to get me to something to do I don't want to do. That's an all-day thing, okay? You know, at some point I say, I give up. I'll do it. I'm worn out with this, all right? How much convincing does the Spirit of God have to do? What's the old saying that I was taught as a kid? He says, jump. I say, that's where we should be. That's where we should be. Paul had arrived there. 
He said, I am bound. I am bound to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And friend, I want to remind you who are believers in the room today. If you're not yet a believer, we're so glad that you're here. But believers, I want to remind you of two things. One, you were created by God. You're made in his image. Therefore, you're his. As if that's not enough, he's redeemed you. The Bible says you were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God, glorify God. You're God's. You're his. His signature is all over you. And so being God's, we should be obedient to him. And what a joy to be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll not regret being obedient. You may regret what you did last night. You may regret the foolish things you did in college. You will never regret being obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. I promise you that. By the way, being obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ, that's on the final exam to life. There's a final exam, by the way. Back to the text. Look at verse, look at verse 13 again. Now, Paul begins to break down who he's obligated to. He says, I'm obligated first to Gentiles. He says that there, verse 13, to the rest of the Gentiles. Your Bible essentially takes the human population and breaks them into two. Jews, Gentiles. Jews, Gentiles. He will say later in verse 16, barbarians. To those who are Bible instructed and those who've yet to have Bible instruction. The word barbarian there in verse 16 in memory serves literally comes from the word bar, 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 bar. The Romans thought that the foreigners were incapable of saying any real language like they were one-year-olds and two-year-olds. And the Bible here is saying these two different divisions of people, no matter how you divide people. Of course, we know the divisions are so much more. The Bible is telling us we're obligated to tell everyone, everyone, the Pakistani who may be serving you at a 7-Eleven or the people who may own that hotel. A lot of them are people from India. You're obligated to them. You're obligated to people of different ethnicities, Native Americans, African Americans, Caucasians, Hispanics. The Bible is telling you and instructing us we're obligated to each and every single person because they're made in the image of God. They're worthy of hearing the gospel. By the way, you want to get in the book of Revelation? You want to get into all the signs or the, the crazy TV preachers? Here's a little piece of Revelation for you. At the end of time, heaven is populated by every ethnicity of people. That's his program. He's been working on that from Adam and Eve through Abraham to Jesus Christ to the second coming. Heaven will not be a bunch of Southern Republicans only. It's going to have all kinds of people up there. That's a dig at me and you. Now look at this carefully here. He says, I'm in debt to everyone, all kinds of people. So as you move through your week, your coworkers, the teachers, your students, the coaches, your family, your grandkids, your cousins, you can say in one sense, I owe them something. I owe them something. I shared this story with you about a year ago. Imagine if the governor of Texas were to give you the charge of communicating to one of the death row inmates that, that he or she was pardoned, that you had the responsibility and the joy of communicating to one of the death row inmates the governor has pardoned you. But imagine that in the hustle and bustle of that, 
um, your wife calls and says, hey, would you run by and get some milk and a few other things? And, and you ask her to text it because you can't remember it and tell her to stay by the phone because you're going to get there and get the wrong thing of cheese and all that kind of stuff. And you get into it a little bit and you forget about this part. And then a buddy calls. This is a very male-dominated story. A buddy calls. And he says, you're never going to believe it. I've got, I've got an opportunity for you and I to golf at Augusta, you and me. And by the way, we're going to get there on a corporate jet together. Well, you've left the milk in the backseat. It's ruined. You forget all about your wife. You don't tell her till later. And you arrive back the next day after that wonderful trip. You apologize to her. You sit down, take a breath, watch the news. And they executed that guy. What would you think? Think, oh my gosh. I totally messed up. That's the most important thing I had to do. In a very real sense, that's what we're to do spiritually. This is God's program. He uses humans to communicate to humans. You may blame him. You may think he's inefficient. I'll let you take that up with the all-wise, omnipotent, omnipresent God. But his program is to get believers to communicate to non-believers, this is the grace of God. By the way, when you do that, it's not an arrogant thing. I'm not saying, hey, look how intelligent I am, how wise I am, how enlightened I am, because I came to faith in Christ. I am one beggar who found bread, and I'm telling another beggar where I found bread. I didn't, I didn't get this thing. I was stupid, I was insubordinate, and he came knocking on my door and brought me to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here we are. The Bible says, I am bound. I am obligated. Do you sense that? It's a wonderful debt to have. I've had all kinds of debts in the world. I've been in debt head over my heels several times in life. But this is a debt that I want to pay. I want to ask you today, who is your one? It could be a grandchild. It could be a cousin. It could be a mom or dad. When I was 13 years of age, God put it on my heart that Brian Mays, my father, was my one. And he was my prayer. In futile attempts, I would share the gospel with this educated, college-educated mechanical engineer who was way above me. But I, I, I'd jump in the deep end every so often in stupid ways. When I was 18 years of age, he embraced the Lord Jesus Christ. For five or six years, he was my one. Who's your one? Is it a coworker? Is it a neighbor? Who's that one person, Mr. Believer, Mrs. Believer, who needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because again, the gospel's too valuable to keep to yourself. Jesus did not die for us four and no more. He died for those students at your college. He died for those students that has the locker down the next one from you. So first of all, the Bible says, if I'm going to be a genuine believer, I need to adopt this I am bound. Secondly, I need to adopt this I am eager. Look at verse 15. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are also in Rome. Now, I meet few believers today who are eager for this. But the word, Paul says, is, is a word of ambition. It's a passion. I'm driven for it. I love how my mentor, Dr. Roy Fish, he would, he, this man did so much for me in my life, and he would give us a picture of this word, holy heartburn. It's a holy heartburn. In other words, our hearts burn with a passion. And my heart is burned, and I have a passion for us to have this eagerness. I had this passion years ago before my kids ever embraced the Lord Jesus Christ. I had this vision that, God, would you allow me to be alongside them 
one day when they come to faith in Christ, but would you allow us to partner and share the gospel together? And that we're in the process of that one day. What a, what a passion that would be. I'm telling you of all the highs I have in life, paying off debt, having babies, all the stuff that goes through the ups and the downs. One of the things that I think is the most thrilling is when I'm there and I can share the gospel and they say yes to Christ. That's a high. That's just amazingly cool. I wanna, I wanna find somebody else around me that gets that high and that excited. That's as, that's as good as any dunk I made back in the day or any shot that I missed, which was, which was my prevalence. Are you eager, are you eager to do this thing called personal evangelism? You know there's a final exam to life. Middle schoolers, do you realize that this old gray-headed guy's age, I've got a final exam. First question on the exam, what did you do with my son Jesus? He's going to ask that to Muslims, Baptists, Catholics. He's going to ask that to whites and blacks. He is not going to discriminate. That's on the final exam. Second question on the final exam, what did you do with your life? What did you do with it? Now, are you going to walk up and say, hey, God, let me, let me show you my scrapbook. Look at my vacations. I'm all for vacations. I'd take one later today if possible. But I don't know that he's going to be all that impressed with the scrapbook of vacations. Hey, God, come over here. I want to show you how I save for retirement. Look how much money I put back. I don't know that he's going to be interested in what I do with my 401k. But he is going to say, were you eager to do the very program that I'm doing? See, as believers, we're to be little Christ. His heart's to be our heart. And his heart is so that people would come to know his son, his love, Jesus Christ. And you get that, don't you? As much as I love my three kids most days, if I sent one of them to the cross to be crucified, I'd want everyone to hear that message. And God's heart was to communicate his great love to you. We're to be eager. But eagerness has gone away. A lot of times we like to make excuses. Oh, the next person will tell them. The timing wasn't right. And really, those excuses oftentimes is a lack of boldness. One study says that believers, only 2% of believers will be in personal evangelism. 2%. 2. 2%, I said. So we have these regrets. We develop these excuses. But let me just remind you of something really basic. Didn't somebody tell you about Jesus Christ? Didn't somebody take the time? I was in a church service like this from the moment I was born. I heard preachers preach. You know what came real to me? When somebody told me about Jesus Christ personally, they personally took the time. It's one thing for the pastor to preach. That's the Air Force. You've got to come in on the ground and put boots on the ground and begin to communicate to the next generation, your cousins, all of them, about the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ died for sinners. That word, verse 15, preach the gospel, you might just write above that evangelize. That's that word there. Don't think of a pulpit. Don't think of a lectern. Don't think of somebody like me. Think of just an ordinary person who just loves to have a conversation about Jesus Christ. You know how that could begin for you? Just with your testimony. You remember the guy that met Jesus who was blind? And those religious teachers, you've got to be careful of preachers then and now. You remember what that religious teacher said? You, you really weren't blind. Jesus didn't do this. What did he say? He said, all I know, I was blind, but now I see. That's what Jesus did for me. 
You guys can study all that you want to. This man changed my life. And so we can begin right there. And we should champion that. We should celebrate it. Subway, the Subway superhero, they called him. Wesley Autry was 51 years of age. Happened just 14 years ago. He was going to work. He was on the 137th Street platform in New York City. And a stranger began to flail. He was having a seizure. Limbs moving every direction. As the man began to flail, he fell backwards onto the track, onto the very subway track as the subway was coming. Wesley would later say when interviewed, he said it came so fast it was just whizzing by. It was the number one subway train that day, and the man again fell black backwards. And as he fell backwards, the train horn was sounding, and everyone was so concerned about this man who'd fallen in there. Autry said, had his little daughter with him, he said, I just jumped in and gathered this man's limbs up and held him tight. And the back of Autry was up north. It was altitude up. So the, the two of them, the subway just came right over the top. I love this story because Autry did what any dad would do. His little girls on the platform, he yelled and said, I am fine. The train's over and says, I am fine. Autry just jumped in and he saved a life. He was a Navy Vietnam War veteran. Had a blue knit hat on that day and it became just sort of impacted by the train above him. What I love next is what he did. When he got done with saving the man's life, he just went all the rest of his day. He took his girl to the house and then he went to work. That's what dad's got to do. We got to go to work. We have bills to pay. Can't stand around talking about press all day. This guy was such a hero. Blomberg, the mayor of New York, congratulated him. Eventually, the president, Trump, before he was president, he congratulated David Letterman, had him on the show. Why'd they do all this? Because he saved a man's life. Now, think carefully about the logic of the Bible. The Bible says you and I exist for eternity. As you're sitting there, no matter your belief, the Bible says you will exist for eternity. Parents, when you've brought a life into the world, my three exist for eternity. They will never stop ceasing in one of two destinations. You can be a spiritual lifesaver. I know politics are important. I've got my opinions about politics. But that pales in comparison. I am an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ, not because I am paid, not because I'm a reverend or a doctor. I am a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're an ambassador. And we're to be eager. We're to be eager. That compassionate sharing of the good news of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. What's your eagerness today on that? If eagerness as a believer were a speedometer, where are you running? Are you going so slow that you're safe in the driveway? Or do you need the Audubon? May I just say to some of you who are Audubons, you who love personal evangelism, let's be emotionally intelligent. The, the jerks for Jesus, we've got enough of them out there already, okay? We can be Audubon eagerness with emotional intelligence, all right? If you're looking for the word you want to say there, it's the word amen. You missed your opportunity. I'm going to give you another one. When the car comes back around, don't miss it. Here's the third. Not only am I bound and I'm eager, I am not ashamed. Verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I'm in 16. Are you in 16? It was the, it was the gospel that saved me as a young man in northern Alabama. 
Now, there's been times in my life I have been ashamed. But to be an effective, highly effective Christian, I need to have a little dash of daring. I need to have the enthusiasm. I need to have a dose of depth. But I need to have this ability to say, I am not ashamed. The truth is we've all been ashamed at one time or another. And I put my head down, and I'm ashamed to say that I was ashamed. But there's courage in verse 16. Can you today, with courage, say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel at your place of business? Some of you men who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be, I'm not ashamed, tactfully. You can be wise. You can be winsome. And you can be so powerful. Can you say, I am not ashamed of the gospel at your school? For coaches and teachers. Pastor, they don't want us doing this there. I, I understand. I live in the 21st century. I get it. But you're smart. They gave you a degree to teach there. You can figure it out. There's obstacles there. You don't have to do it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel among my friends. Peer pressure is real. Can you be courageous? Can you say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel at my house? For some of you, that's the hardest one at all. And for me, that was right there where I was, around my father, the agnostic atheist, as a teenager. How do I do that? It takes real courage to do it. But let me conclude on this message by where I started. Who is your one? If you love the Lord Jesus Christ and you call yourself a believer, then God's heart should be your heart. Who's your one? Could be a child. Could be a cousin. Could be a coworker. I'll tell you about one of my ones. I get my hair cut. Uh, her name is Maggie. Maggie came over here from Afghanistan. She's interesting to talk to. She's telling me about her first job over here and how she got trained and her two kids and her husband. Maggie and I got to talking about just normal things. And you take, you get, take a while to get there. She said, what'd you do this week? And I said, well, I did a funeral down in San Antonio this week. I buried a man who was 77 years dead. He died during World War II in the Pacific. And she said what many would say. She said, well, he's at peace now. He's home. I said, maybe. I don't know that we get peace on where we're buried. And then I went in and I said, here's how the Bible says we get peace. And I shared with her a couple verses. And I shared with her John 3, 16. And it was a breakthrough. I've been looking for that breakthrough for about a year or more. Another man in our church, he's tag teaming. We're tag teaming like wrestling days, you know, like superheroes putting the rings together. He's tag team. We've gotten her a Bible in her language. And I shared with her John 3, 16. I shared with her, I said, I want you to wrote that down for her as I, as I finished up and I paid. And she said, she was talking about her background in Afghanistan. And she said, you know, I think women and men ought to be treated the same. I said, absolutely. You know where we get that from? Jesus. <laughs> John chapter 8, they brought this adulterous woman to him and he said, go and sin no more. But his implication there, doesn't it take two to tango? Can't do adultery by yourself. I said, you ought to check out John chapter 8. Wrote that down for her. A buddy of mine, Clarence, who had COVID, I called him. He's in the Amarillo Hospital recently. He reminds me what I tell you. He says, Scott, you're not in management. You just report for duty. The results are up to God. Clarence is a spiritual mentor of mine, and I love him. He's in his almost 90s now. I, I don't know what's going to happen to Maggie. I know that God put me in that chair 
to get a haircut, and I'm to use that time. And I'll be honest with you. Sometimes when I go on Friday and Saturday, I don't feel like witnessing. I just feel like vegging out, thinking, I wish nobody would talk to me for a minute. I'm here, and I've got 10 minutes. I could fall asleep in this chair. But it's on the final exam. This is why I'm here. It's not because I'm paid. It's not because I'm a reverend. It's because I'm a beggar who used to not know where to find bread. And somebody showed me where to find bread. And my job is to tell Maggie where she can find bread in the Lord Jesus Christ, to be loving and kind. So in the moment, I'm going to ask you to leave this room and go straight to that big obstacle that's in your way and to begin prayerfully considering who is your one. For me, it's Maggie. There's another gentleman in our church that has been here. Says he's an atheist. He's another one of my ones. Who's your one? God's put you here. The Spirit of God's inside of you. You want to do this. And we're going to help you. Throughout this fall, we're going to just keep coming back to this. And we want to equip you and tell with you a strategy how to do this. In fact, there's a little web page, NRHBC slash my one. You go there this afternoon. You go there right now. You'll find multiple strategies there on how to share the good news of Jesus. And throughout this, this fall, almost everything we do is going to be for this purpose. COVID interrupted this a year ago, but we're coming back to this. This is what a church should be doing. And this is what I want you to join me with. In fact, as we do that, we've got a goal of 2,100 gospel conversations. And when you do that, like I did just before this service, I wrote Maggie's name because I shared the gospel with her, and I put it in the display that hopefully you're going to see right there, that little one. Would you just do that with me? For more than 2,000 of these gospel conversations, it's not when I invite her to church. That's wonderful. But it's when I share that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. Is that something you want to do? Is that something you feel like the Lord's leading you to do? Can you begin to pray, who is my one? May the Lord bless us as we do this. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how we need you to stir us and shape us. For a lot of us, Lord, we're sleepy. We're so motivated by what's happening on the news, and we're so motivated about what's happening at school. But I'm fearful, Lord, that we get to the end of life on that day of judgment. And we know the Lord Jesus Christ for many of us. But we spend our lives making money. We spend our lives pursuing fun. Lord, would you, would you come and just take a hold of our hearts and make us prioritize the right things? Lord, thank you. Thank you for giving us something real to dig into. You could have put us here and we were just window dressing. Instead, you put us here and we have an opportunity to impact eternity. I'm so humbled by that, Lord. And I say on behalf of everyone here, I'm not worthy of that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A man named Donnie in the life of our church. I had the privilege of visiting with Donnie. 
Donnie, how'd you come to know the Lord? He's in his 80s. He said, I was uh, about 16 years of age and a man in my church. Donnie didn't know the Lord. He was in church. We began to partner over this hobby, Donnie said. We just got connected over that. And the man began to share the gospel with Donnie as the two spent Saturdays together doing that hobby. Donnie embraced the Lord Jesus Christ. He married a believer. They raised believers. Some of them are in this church. And they've got grandchildren who are believers. He knew the man's name who led him to faith in Christ. It has been close to 60 years since he last saw that man. I said, now think about that, Donnie. Just put your face right here for just a second. That man changed multiple generations spiritually just by taking a hobby. I want to do that. I want you to do that. Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.